The views and opinions expressed in Cold and Missing are exclusively those of the hosts. All parties mentioned are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Cold and Missing also contains adult themes and languages and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. everyone and welcome back to Cold and Missing. My name is Allie McLaughlin and I am your host. I am so sad to report this week that my beautiful husband, the love of my life, the incredible Eli Sulkowski is not with us. He is very busy this weekend. He is actually shooting a movie, which is incredible, that he wrote and that he's starring in, which is so cool. And it's, it's, I'm so proud of him and I'm so, it's so amazing to watch your partner like think of something, like have this idea in their head and then to see them like go through every single step to make it a reality. And then like here he is shooting the movie that he wrote during the pandemic. Like I'm so proud of him and I'm his biggest fan and I'm so sad that he's not here, but I'm so happy that he's, you know, doing his thing and like making his dreams come true, our dreams come true. I'm a proud wife. Can you tell? (laughs) So anyway, it's just me. It's just me this week. So because of that, I decided to bring you a case. We're still on our cold missing, cold missing kick. So this is, I don't know if it's technically a cold case, but it's, it's an unsolved case and it is more popular, um, which is a little bit different. But again, because my husband isn't here, I didn't want to do a case that I did a lot of research for where I normally want him here. Uh, So I decided to do this case that I've been following since the day that it happened. Some of you may be familiar with it. I hope I bring a perspective that is maybe a little bit interesting if you have heard of it. We are going to be talking about the currently unsolved murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German, and these took place in Delphi, Indiana on February 13th, 2017. First, to give you guys a little bit about the girls. So Abigail, she went by Abby Williams. Um, She is said by family and friends to have been just so sweet and so kind and thoughtful. She was shy around, you know, maybe people she didn't know, but like around friends, she was a lot more lively and she loved crafting. It's said that she had like a closet full of crafts and was always trying something new. She was super athletic. She was part of the volleyball team, the softball team, just like an all around kind, sweet girl. She was in middle school uh, when these crimes took place and Liberty, German, she went by Libby, described as being a very gentle soul and laid back and, but also a defender. Like it would take a lot to make her mad, but if you got her mad, she was going to let you know about it. And she, she would not tolerate any kind of bullying. 
And Libby is also very athletic. So she would play softball and then she would jump into soccer and then she would jump into volleyball and then she would jump into swimming. And by the time all of that wrapped up, it was like time to do it all over. So softball, soccer, volleyball, swimming. And like I mentioned, Abby was also a part of a lot of these teams with her. So both of these girls were super athletic, super involved in their schools. All of their teachers had nothing but kind things to say to them and will still stop the parents and grandparents of these girls to just tell them how wonderful they were. And I believe the girls' pictures are still up in the middle school. Like, they were very loved by that community and still are to this day. The community still really is protective of the girls. So this is maybe where I can add maybe a unique perspective to the case. I actually used to live very close to Delphi. So not in Delphi, Indiana proper, but I lived in the town next door, which was called Brookston. But I found myself in Delphi all the time because they had this CVS and a Dairy Queen and a Pizza Hut. So these were like lovely amenities. The town that I was living in, Brookston, they had a gas station, like a a couple little stores here and there, but it was a one-stop light town. So surprisingly, Delphi was the biggest, but this is still like such a rural community. It's still such a tiny town, even though to me it had these like, you know, amenities of convenience, even though it was still like a full 25 minute drive, half hour drive to get there and back. So it was like a full hour excursion to like go pick up something quickly. But so that's, you know, that's living in the country. And a lot of folks who live in rural areas know what that's like. So this is very much the community that Delphi's in. And where these crimes specifically take place at It's called the Monin High Bridge, but I've only ever heard of it as High Bridge when I lived there, so you'll hear me referring to it as High Bridge throughout um, the podcast today. But I've been there with my friend to take pictures, which is exactly what, like, Abby and Libby were doing that day. I went there with my friend, Carol Ann. Shout out to Carol Ann if you're listening. And we did exactly what these girls were doing, which was, like, taking pictures and, like, hanging out with each other. So... It is completely normal and expected for like kids to go there. So like maybe to somebody listening that's not from this area, it seems like weird that you would uh, like let your kids, your middle schoolers go to this trail, specifically this kind of abandoned bridge, which I will uh, talk more about in a minute. But it is it's not it was so busy every time that I was there I saw like somebody else there outside of who I was like it was a very common place to be and you know in these small towns uh with not a lot to do there's not a movie theater anywhere close by you know there's not a lot of amenities as far as like for teenagers to hang out like this this was the place to be and like I totally get it I totally understand it so but let's get into some of the details of the case before I just inundate you guys with stories of my youth (laughs) so Monday February 13th 2017 it's a Monday in February so you're probably thinking these girls should be in school right 
They actually had a built-in snow day. So what that means, if you're not from an area that gets a lot of snow, sometimes the schools will build in these snow days. So if they had to take a snow day, say in January, which is kind of typical, then they don't have to like add that day on in the summer. They would just like take away this day and they would just like go to school as normal. But this year, in the year of 2017, it's actually a pretty mild winter uh, as far as Indiana is concerned. So they um, don't have school on this Monday. They have that built-in snow day off. So Abby has stayed the night at Libby's house and they stayed up late the night before on Sunday night. And according to Libby's grandma, um, Becky and Mike are her grandparents and she lives with them and they have full custody of her. So you'll hear me refer to Mike and Becky a lot. But according to Becky, the girls were like working on this craft project because again, they both were so crafty and they were in the middle of painting this chocolate side, which like is such slumber party vibes. Like, uh, it's just like perfect. That Monday, um, since the girls had been up late the night before, they, they slept in till around 10 on that Monday. And when they woke up, Libby's dad, Derek, is there, and he makes the girls pancakes for breakfast. And the girls, uh, Libby, like, wanted to go do something. You know, she's a teenage girl. She's a middle schooler. She, like, wants to go hang out, do something. But everyone had work that day because, again, it's Monday. So her sister Kelsey, her grandmother, and her dad all have work. So the girls end up going to Becky's work, and she tells them, like, hey, if you come over, I've got some filing that I need done. So if you do the filing, I'll pay you. And then maybe later today we can go shopping when I get off of work. So there's this kind of plan for the day, um, initially laid out in the morning. So the girls head over to Becky's work and they're doing their filing. And around one o'clock, Kelsey German, this is Libby's sister. Um, she stops by because she's heading into work later. And so she's going to hang with a friend at a friend's house and then go into work later that evening because she has to be at work at four, I believe. And Libby asks her when she swings by if she will drive her and Abby to the high bridge, to the trail to hang out. And Kelsey says it's fine. She doesn't have an issue with it. And so they ask her grandmother, Becky, and Becky says it's fine, but you need to find a ride home and make sure that it's okay with Abby's mom. Totally normal. Totally cool. So Libby arranges for her dad to pick her up because he's out doing some work and he'll, he'll be coming back through in about an hour and a half. So it's just perfect. So the girls leave the office, Kelsey, Abby, and Libby, and they head to the bridge. And between 135, 138, right in there, the girls are dropped off by Kelsey and she watches them walk onto the trail. So there's like a little parking lot at the beginning of like this trailhead and it's surrounded by like a wooded area. And so she watches the girls walk into the trail and then it kind of bends slightly so that you're out of sight of the parking lot. And this is all confirmed by cell phone records um, because Kelsey gets a call right as she's dropping the girls off and as she's leaving. So we have like a clear time of what, the, of what time the girls were at the bridge. And so then Libby, she starts doing like what teens do. And so after they're dropped off, Libby starts doing like a little teen thing and gets on Snapchat and she posts a picture um, first of the bridge and you've been 
hearing me refer to it as high bridge. So just a little background about this trail area, um, just so you can kind of get it in your head as we talk about it, because this is where a lot of this takes place. So you get dropped off and then um, you walk a little bit through the woods. And this is how I remember it. And this is also kind of confirmed by the details in the case. But um, at one point, the trail kind of forks. And so there's an option um, to go towards the creek. Um, it's called Deer Creek that runs right there. So that way you can get close and people will do fishing and stuff down there. Or you can take the other way in the fork, which leads to the high bridge. Now the high bridge is an abandoned railroad track that goes over Deer Creek. And I'm not completely sure about how high it is above Deer Creek, but it feels like at least 30 feet from my memory. And I'm not somebody who is scared of heights or woozy. Like I, I kind of like being up high. I like that feeling in my tummy and you know, I've done zip lines and like, I love it. I, I am not somebody who is scared of heights, but as I was like taking my first steps onto this abandoned railroad track that goes over this Creek, I felt wobbly and a little woozy in my knees. So please imagine a railroad track going over a Creek right? Like a kind of that bridge scenario. But at that time in 2017, and you know, when I visited there, there was nothing that could really stop you from going over the side. So there was no rails at all. It was literally a train track that you walked across. Like that was it. And there was nothing underneath either. So like when you think about a train track, those spaces between like each like plank of wood, those were all there and there was nothing underneath. So like if your leg was small enough and like, you know, it would actually have to be pretty large to like not go through. But like if you weren't watching your step while you were up there, your leg could easily like go through these tracks. Like it, when I first went there, I was like, this is completely bizarre that there's not even a handrail to like stop you from going over the edge. But like, I have pictures with my friend of us, like sitting on the edge and like laying like, um, the girls are there and they post a picture of the train tracks. Libby posts it. Um, and we'll be posting, you know, all of these to Instagram as well. So that way you can get these mental images if you're not familiar with them. So she posts an image and it appears that she's on the side of the bridge that's closest to the park, the parking lot. So once you cross over this bridge, it's kind of interesting in how the trail, from my memory, and I believe at this time, so it would curve as you were like walking across it, it would curve, but then it wouldn't like loop in any way. So like once you got across the bridge to get back to the parking lot, your only other option was to go back across that bridge again. From what I remember and my understanding, that, that was really your only option. There wasn't like a big looping around. It was like you cross the bridge, you could walk a little bit farther, but then you would have to come back over that bridge again. And at 2.07, Libby posts a picture of Abby walking on the train tracks to Snapchat. That happens at 2.07, and this is the last communication that we really have from the girls, is this Snapchat um, that's uploaded to her story or whatever it's called over there. So that happens at 2.07, roughly 30 minutes after they're dropped off, which makes sense because it takes a little bit of time to get over to the woods. At 3.11, Derek, Libby's 
dad calls Libby as he's driving to the trailhead to the parking lot to pick up the girls to say like, hey, start walking back. Because like I just said, it takes a few minutes to get to the parking lot from the bridge. So he calls Libby. She doesn't pick up. Not really a worry at this time. I don't know what the cell service was like in 2017, but when I was there, this was oh, 2010, 2011, right in there. Um, when I was there, cell service was very spotty and it was like you could have it in one spot and then be dead for a while. So, you know, I wouldn't immediately be concerned if maybe somebody didn't pick up their phone while they were on this trail because I think I would think there were like cell phone dead spots along the way. At 3:14, Derek calls again because at this point he's at the parking lot and he says he calls her as he's getting out of his truck and he, you know, starts walking towards the trail and kind of looks around and he doesn't get any response from her. So he begins to start walking the trail. And as he's walking the trail, you know, he's keeping an eye out for the girls. He comes up to that fork and he says that he sees an older gentleman that's out walking there because again, this was a very unseasonably warm day for February. And this is a very popular spot. Anytime that I went to Highbridge personally, I always saw somebody else there, no matter what time it was. Like there was always seemed to be somebody else there. So Derek runs into this gentleman and he asks if he's seen, you know, the girls on the trail. And he says that he hadn't, but there was a couple that was, you know, down by the creek underneath the bridge, um, which are those train tracks. When I refer to the bridge, it's the train track. So based off of this information, Derek takes the path towards the creek to go um, see if the girls are down there. At 3.30, Derek calls Becky, which is Libby's grandmother, and says that he can't get a hold of the girls. So he's pretty quick to call. This is only 15 minutes, um, you know, after they're kind of roughly agreed upon time that they were going to be picked up. So Becky starts calling Libby's cell phone to try to get a hold of her and is not getting any response either. At 4 o'clock, so this is coming up close to an hour, um, Mike, which is Libby's grandfather, is called and he um, is at work at this time so he leaves work and starts heading for this trail and Becky at this time as well is also leaving work and she goes home and she meets another family member at home and so they decide as they're driving over to the trail they're going to take the two ways that the girls could possibly have walked home. So there's only like two roads that they could have taken out of these trails um, to come home, even though this was not the agreed upon plan, but just to cover all their bases. So the family member goes one way, Becky goes another, and everyone's heading towards the bridge. Um, so Mike, he's left work. He gets there around 5.15. And at this point, family members have shown up. Just some, like, friends have shown up because they've been calling people to see if they've heard from the girls. And Becky says it's going to get dark soon. So they decide that they are going to go ahead and call the cops. And that's at 520. So that's roughly two hours after the girls went missing. Um, the police are called. And within 10 minutes, they are within route to the bridge area, to the trail, to begin looking for the girls. 
So family and friends are already on the, in the trails looking for the girls. They're all calling their cell phones. Becky's on the phone with AT&T to ask them if they're able to trace Libby's cell phone at all. Because this is the thing that started to worry them. Because Libby always had her cell phone in her hand. So at this point, with so many people calling, there should be no reason that she's not picking up. She's not answering. So AT&T is giving Becky the runaround while she's walking. She says she doesn't really remember a lot of her walking because she just remembers this phone call. But they basically tell her that they can't help her. They can't trace the phone. They can't do that. But what she can do is like get Libby's phone and download Find My iPhone on it, and then she can do it. And she's like, are you not listening to me? Like, no, I don't have her phone. I don't have her. I need you to help me. But uh, AT&T was not helpful for that. As the police are called, Becky, this like AT&T phone call, I believe, happens um, before the police are called. But as the police are called, Becky is like, I need to find Anna, which is Abby's mom. She had been trying to get a hold of Anna since, you know, the girls weren't answering. Anna is at work. And so she's like en route to Anna's work when Anna finally calls her, says she got her messages, you know, she couldn't have her phone at, on her. And so they are headed to the police station because the police want to begin the process of trying to track her phone, Libby's phone. And Mike, on his way to the police station that evening, he is also going to swing by the house and collect every piece of electronic, iPad, tablet, whatever, anything, anything electronic that was in Libby's possession, he brings to the police this night so that way they can begin kind of looking through it to see if there's any way to either ping her phone from one of those or if there's any information on any of her other electronics. And police say that they tried pinging those phones for several hours that evening, but the sheriff believed they were either dead or turned off at this point. The local news gets word that these girls are missing, and they actually run the girl's story that evening that they're missing. So right away, there's quick media coverage to these girls. There's a quick police response uh, to find these girls. And I actually remember that night... February 13th, um, I know one of the girls' coaches from living in that area. Um, I, you know, we're Facebook friends. And one of their coaches had posted that, you know, the girls were missing. They were last seen at Highbridge. You know, please pray for them. This is very unlike them. They're very good girls, very responsible, you know, very trustworthy. So this was super out of their character. But I remember seeing that and, like, Initially, my thought was, I was like, oh my God, they fell. Like, that was the only thing that made sense to me for this area. And myself have being there, I was like, oh my God, they fell. They fell off that bridge, you know, like they got to, you know, whatever. But that was my initial thought when I saw that these girls were missing in their last location. Like, that was my worst fear at that time that they had fallen. So at 11.45, police actually call off the search for that evening. But the sheriff is quoted as saying, quote, they have no reason to believe that the girls were in imminent danger and crews would resume their search in the morning, end quote. But Mike says that family members and friends and other volunteers were in the woods, on the trail, on the bridge all night long, searching for these girls, calling out their names, calling their phones, trying to get some response from them. I couldn't find 
if there was a time when there wasn't anybody there. So, you know, maybe in the earlier hours, um, you know, people would maybe take a break just to rest for a minute and then come back out. I really don't know um, what time family and friends or volunteers came out of the woods that night, if they came out of the woods that night. I, I couldn't find a clear answer on that. So at 10 a.m., you know, all the volunteers, police, firefighters, like all of those crews um, meet again at the high bridge to resume the official search for Abby and Libby. But again, it does appear that like family and friends were like in there regardless of like when the police said the official search was happening and when it was not. So lots of people are in these woods on, this is February 14th, so Valentine's Day of 2017. The search resumes. There's a lot of people in these woods. And at around 1245, they announced that they had found the girls and that it was not good. Shortly after this, um, there's a quick press conference held just announcing that during the search for the girls that they did recover two bodies. At this time, they don't say if it's Abby or Libby, but it is them. Um, nobody else is missing at this time in Delphi, Indiana. But that evening, um, police officially say that, like, you know, they're not searching anymore for the girls. So that you know, that gives everything they know. So the next day, February 15th, police at this point officially identify the bodies as being Abby and Libby. And this again is held during a press conference earlier in the afternoon. And then that evening, police reveal that they have significant evidence that is unlike a, any other case out there, but Libby, in her absolute presence of mind, in her absolute brilliance of minds, this smart girl, while she was on the bridge that day, February 13th, during this time, roughly 2.07 when that last Snapchat was posted to 3.15 when her dad is in the woods, you know, calling out her name and looking for her. You know, that's really the question of what happened, you know, right in there during that time frame. And police reveal that they have Libby's phone, that they were able to recover Libby's phone. It's not specific where it was. If it was with her at the crime scene in the woods, That that's not clear. And I, I guess I should just say this now, that there's not... Not a lot of information out there. Police have kept everything very close, but more recently in 2021 and 2022, there have been some updates. So I'm going to kind of spread those in a little bit, but overall, there's not a lot of details out there. So police have Libby's phone and this brilliant girl recorded a video on her phone of the man that police have called the prime suspect. They've released pictures of him. They've released video of him. They've released his voice. But on February 15th, they just released two stills from this video that Libby took on her phone. And again, we don't know why she started taking this video. You know, if she felt uncomfortable, why wouldn't she call 911? But again, like I mentioned before, like cell service was really shoddy out there. I, you know, there's so much speculation about this and I don't want to speculate too much because this feels so horrible, but she had the presence of mind to like start recording this man. And, you know, in these pictures, you can see he appears to be approaching them and it looks like he's coming 
from the direction of the parking lot. And so they're on the other side of the bridge. So the only way to get out of this trail system would have been to get by him on this bridge. And in this photo, you know, it's a white man. Um, he's wearing a hat and like this big oversized um, navy coat. Um, there's like kind of a brown thing. I don't know if it's a sweatshirt. Some people have theorized it's like a fanny pack. Um, but there's like kind of like a brown section hanging out of his coat. And then he's in blue jeans, but his head's down. And again, this is very normal for being on the bridge. I don't, I don't think he knew he was being filmed. I think he was keeping his head down because you literally have to. Like I said, like there's nothing underneath those train tracks. So when you walk, your head automatically just stays down because you need to keep your footing because this is the last place you want to like fall and trip because God forbid you go over the side. Like, uh, there's no handrails. There wasn't at this time anyway. So police release these images of this man and at this point they don't call him a suspect but in the next few days they'll say he is the prime suspect on february 18th 2017 the girls have a public visitation at their middle school so that way everyone can come say goodbye and i believe it was open casket from everything that's reported but this is the day the girls are laid to rest and then the next day is when that man in the photo that I mentioned, which again, I will be posting to Instagram, he's officially named the prime suspect of the murders. And then February 22nd, police release audio from the video, and it's not much, um, but I'm going to play it for you guys here. Now, initially, they just release Down the Hill, and that's the only part that comes out. But in 2019, they released the guys portion. So that was the portion of the audio that was released in 2019, but initially it was just Down the Hill. But here, I'm playing it all for you, so you get it all at once. And they confirm that both the audio and the pictures, the videos, are from a video on Libby's phone um, taken by her at the high bridge. And they don't go into details about how long this video is. I've heard reports out there um, of different times, but there, nothing's been confirmed um, and nothing else about what's on it. So hundreds of tips have come in on this case. They actually have to like reroute the tips through the FBI just because of the sheer volume. And they also are using electronic billboards all across the country to show the girl's face and the picture um, taken from Libby's phone of this prime suspect, the man on the bridge. And at the end of February, investigators will actually move into a building just dedicated for this investigation because so many police force, like not only like the Delphi police, but Carroll County, which is the county it sits in, their police are involved. Um, the state, Indiana State Police, um, became involved with the investigation and the FBI. So the small little like municipal building where like the police were had so much traffic, like the rest of the city just like couldn't function. So they actually had to move this investigation specifically to its own building just because of how big it is and how many people were working on it. 
about mid-March, Libby and Abby's family will announce that in their memory, they um, are going to build um, like a sports complex for the girls, the Abby and Libby, um, I believe it's a softball field now, but, um, or a softball complex, actually. It's like several fields. It's really cool, but that has been built. Um, but this is announced in just the weeks following that this is the vision and how the families want to memorialize the girls. And so, like I said, we don't know much about what happened to the girls, but April or June of this year, of 2022, a search warrant comes out for a search that happens in the weeks following. Let me back up a little bit. So um, where the girls were found, where their bodies were found, it was only about a half a mile from the end of this of the high bridge of where the train tracks end. So it was relatively close to the trail. But where they were was technically on private property. And the police have questioned the man who owns this property. And he actually went to jail because of a probation violation in regards to all of this. Um, and he has never formally been charged with anything. But um, they do. They did search his home, which I think is only reasonable considering that the girls were found on his property. Again, he has a lot of property. It's rural Indiana. In the search warrant, um, this is from the search warrant, so a large amount of blood was lost by the victims at the crime scene, according to the search warrant. Because of the amount of blood, investigators believe that the perpetrator would have gotten blood on their hands or clothing, and the murderer likely took a souvenir from the crime scene, according to the document. And it, quote, appeared the girls' bodies were moved and staged, end quote. And um, the search warrant has been redacted, so it didn't specify what they uh, believed was missing. But, quote, the rest of their clothing was recovered and there were no signs of a struggle or fight. So that is the most details that we have gotten about what could have happened to the girls. And again, I don't want to speculate because it just feels horrible until we know everything. Um, I, I don't want to add any speculation out there, but I know it sounds horrible and it doesn't sound right. And I thought, you know, as somebody who had lived in this area, I was shocked by these murders when it came out that, you know, these girls were murdered, that it hadn't just been like a very tragic hiking accident. I instantly thought it had to have been somebody who was from the community because it was kind of hard to find these trails. Somebody had to take me there the first time. You know, there were no roads. It's like you just kind of pulled off this country road and you were in this parking lot. But if you blinked, you would have missed it if you were driving by. Like you really had to kind of know it was there. And Delphi being so small, I just, it, it was really hard for me to believe that like somebody would stumble upon them on this kind of unscheduled day off, but like they maybe would have been in school, maybe not. Like that they would like know that these girls would be out, that he would stumble upon them, be able to get in and out of these woods quickly without being caught because, you know, there were people there. There was that gentleman that Derek ran into that is not a suspect. And police interviewed other people that were on the bridge that day, on the trails that day. Um, so people were out. And just to get in and out of those woods seems 
really, really interesting to me. Um, if somebody had just happened upon it, that seems kind of impossible. So I, I do think it was somebody who knows Delphi and knows the area. And because Libby had gotten this person's picture and his voice, I assumed it would be solved within weeks. I think a lot of people did when you have that evidence, like the victim is literally showing you who did it. Like what a break in a case, but still the case goes unsolved until this day. And, um, you know, there have been updates in the case um, as far as new leads, but I don't really want to get into those too much because a lot of them have been discredited. So jumping back into 2017, they go unsolved. And in July of 2017, police release a sketch of the person that they believe to be uh, the person in the video. And this sketch is supposedly composited of witnesses along the trail of seeing this man. This composite sketch will remain, you know, the main picture alongside this until 2019 when police completely changed the composite sketch and they release a new one and ask for people to focus on the new sketch. So, and they look very, very different. So I, I will be posting both of them just so you can see the difference in it. But the second sketch is the one that police say is more like the witness based off of whatever evidence they have. And again, they've played everything so, so very close to the chest. Late 2017 in September, um, there will be like kind of this new suspect that comes along that gets a lot of attention, but police will ultimately rule him out and the family will do some media tours. So they'll go on the Dr. Oz show, they'll go on the Dr. Phil show, talking about Abby and Libby's death and trying to promote tips. And this works every time they go on a talk show, like the tips jump according to police. So the family stays out there, stays on the media. February 13th, 2018. So this is the one year mark. Police hold a press conference and say that they have received 30,000 tips that they, and they are saying they are investigating every single one that comes in. And the reward at this point is at $240,000 for information. And police are saying that outside of, you know, kind of the big suspects that have jumped out, they, they've been interviewed dozens of suspects. Yeah, that's, that's really what happens at the one-year press conference. And then there's not a whole lot of news until two years. And people are s still, like, really surprised that this has not been figured out yet, that there hasn't been a, a resolve. But police are insisting at two years, so this would be February 13th of 2019, that it's not a cold case, that it's very much active. In April of that year is when they do a significant update. So I've talked about it a little bit already, but they released that additional audio, which is the guys. Again, I'll play it for you here. And they release the new sketch of the suspect. And then they release video, um, but it's really just these stills, again, um, that they initially released, but they just kind of released like a three-second clip of this person walking on the bridge. 
Over the years, suspects have popped up and popped out, but I want to go into what has recently kind of come out at the end of 2021-2022. So it's been five years since the girls were murdered. Uh, we're coming up on six years this upcoming February. There has kind of been a new break in the case, and it's because of a podcast. So um, the Murder Sheet podcast really helped shake some things loose here. But I'm quoting from a Fox 59 article here. So most recently, the updates in this case, um, police are asking in regards to Libby and Abby, if anybody has had contact with the user profile Anthony Schatz. And that's Anthony underscore Schatz. And this would have been on Snapchat, Instagram, something called Yellow or Yubo, which apparently is like a Tinder for teens, which, ugh. but the Murder Sheet podcast found these transcripts from an arrest unrelated to Abby and Libby's murder. And for years, the best evidence that the police have had is what Libby gave them, right? Like this video on her phone, this audio, these images. But it has come out recently that Libby was in contact with this profile, Anthony Schatz. And this kind of goes directly against everything that we had known before in this. Like the family had kind of actively said that they don't believe there was a catfishing scenario here or anything like that, that there wasn't anything with social media going on. So this has been a surprise to not only people following the case, but to family as well. This has kind of come as a surprise to them. So in August of 2020, 27-year-old Keegan Klein of Peru, Indiana, was arrested on 30 counts of child solicitation, child exploitation, and possession of child porn. But Keegan Klein also ran this account called Anthony Shots. And if you search Anthony underscore Shots, you can find this profile on Instagram still. It's private, but it's the exact one that this person used. And Klein admitted to police that Anthony Schatz was an account he used to talk to underage girls. He told police he'd find girls, both people he knew and didn't know, on Instagram and talk to him uh, through messages on Snapchat or Kick. And past reports in regards to Libby and Abby indicate that Klein was questioned by police after a search of his home in Peru 12 days after Abby and Libby were murdered. So police found him pretty quickly after the murder and searched his home. And again, we have, um, you know, a search warrant from somebody else's home, but I imagine the same things would have applied here. And in the newly obtained transcripts, these transcripts were originally posted on a Miami County court website and Klein um, was interrogated by an Indiana State Trooper and a Sheriff Deputy on August 18th, 2020. Um, so I'm going to read you a little bit of the transcripts that I was able to find because this has been removed now, obviously, from in regards to Abby and Libby. So this is all quote, quote, police. Um, you had told investigators, um, and I know you say you don't remember a girl that you ever talked to, but I know you remember Liberty German, Klein, inaudible. No idea what he says. Police, right. And you know you talk her to her and admitted to talking to her and Klein cuts off. I don't think I ever did though. I think I talked to one of her friends like I told them. And then he says something that is inaudible. Police... You, you admitted you talked to her. 
Klein and Audible. Again, police. For a few hours at a sleepover, and then you blocked her because she was annoying you. You remember? Klein, you're right. Yeah. Police, you remember that? Klein, yeah. And then later in the transcript, the trooper confronts Klein, saying that Anthony Schatz, this profile, was supposed to meet Libby on the high bridge, on Delphi High Bridge, the day she died. And Klein says, quote, see, I don't remember ever saying to meet up with me, though, end quote. So what we know, or what we believe to know, is that this profile, Anthony Schatz, who Keegan Klein had access to and was running was supposed to meet with Libby German the day she died on Highbridge. And this comes as a shock to her family. Her sister doesn't know anything about this. This this is a shock to everybody. So police, based on their forensic investigation of this Anthony Schatz account, believe that at least two people had access to this account. And when confronted with that, Klein says, well, yeah, I gave my password to, quote, a lot of people. On December 9th, 2021, Keegan Klein gives an interview from jail to Barbara McDonald, who is a producer for HLN Network. And in the interview, Klein said that his father also had access to the Anthony Schatz account. And Klein told McDonald that Indiana State Police reportedly told him, quote, they knew it was my dad, end quote, that killed Abby and Libby. So this is um, taken from that interview. McDonald, do you think you're going to be charged with anything related to Abby and Libby's murder? Klein, no, no, I don't. McDonald, so they haven't, the state police haven't threatened that? Klein, no, no. McDonald, do you feel like they're trying to get you to pin this on your dad? Klein, yes, yes, I do. McDonald, and that's probably why he's not speaking to you? Klein, right. Because when I first got arrested, they told me that they knew it was my dad, and if they, if I tell them, all my charges will be dropped. And then again, in this transcript of this interview that police did, which is roughly 194 pages, Anthony Schatz um, was in communication with Libby German the night before her death. So remember, she was having a sleepover with Abby. And Klein told investigators he didn't exchange photos with Libby, but he did admit to receiving photos from a friend of hers who was at the same sleepover. According to the transcripts, investigators say they knew Libby was speaking to Anthony Schatz at the sleepover the night before she went to the Delphi Trail with Abby. Police said they believe Libby was being groomed by the account. Unfortunately, she was completely enthralled with Anthony Schatz, investigators said in the transcripts. The transcripts also reveal that police told Klein he failed a polygraph test when asked if he knew who killed Abby and Libby. Also, that he deleted search history on his phone between the dates of February 10th and February 15th of 2017. And remember, the girls um, went missing on the 13th and they were found on the 14th. And Klein also said in these transcripts that his father was, quote, freaking out when Klein told him in February of 2017 that detectives said Klein was a suspect in the Delphi murders. Klein goes on to tell McDonald, so this goes back to the interview um, with the TV producer, that his dad, you know, is not a good person, he is abusive, um, that he is a deer hunter, and 
um, robust enough to walk through the woods and strong enough to retrieve a deer. So that would be like a dead deer in this case. But the police are still actively asking people if they know anything, if they had any communication with Anthony Schatz to please come forward to the police. So this seems to be a very strong suspect, I think, in this case. So if you know anything about what happened to Abby Williams or Libby German on February 13th, 2017 at the High Bridge in Delphi, Indiana, or if you have ever had any contact with the social media profile Anthony Shots on Instagram, Snapchat, Yellow, or Yubo, please reach out to law enforcement at 765-822-3535. Or if you want to submit a tip via email, you can do that. And the tip email is abbyandlibbytip at c-a-c-o-s-h-r-f.com. So again, that's abbyandlibbytip at c-a-c-o-s-h-r-f.com. Carroll County Sheriff is the acronym I think they're going for at the back there. But yeah, that's, I, I didn't want to get too into this. Again, this case has been covered a lot, but like I said, I, I used to live there. And so I been keeping my eyes on this case since the day it happened, since the day I saw on Facebook that they were missing. You know, I've, I wanted to know what happened to them. And this, it's just crazy having lived there. This is such a small town and so safe before this. Um, it's completely unfathomable to think of something like this happening there. So I, I really hope that we are close, that the suspect, Keegan Klein, he is in jail currently on these 30 counts, which seems accurate. Um, I'm glad he's in jail and safe and no longer being a predator on social media. But yeah, I really, I really hope that this gets resolved soon. It's been five years, which is a really long time and just really tragic that these girls were murdered. I mean, they were best friends. They loved each other so much. And, you know, the family has said over the years that if one of them maybe had an opportunity to run, they wouldn't, like they wouldn't have left each other alone. So like these girls were loyal to each other and with each other till the end. And they deeply deserve justice and their families deserve peace. Um, and just like knowing that this person is off the streets and this community deserves peace, that this person isn't out walking amongst them anymore. So yeah, that's the case of the Delphi, Indiana murders. They go by a lot of names, but I've always known them as that. And I hope you enjoyed it. I, I hope I was able to tell the story chronologically in a way that made sense without Eli here asking questions. He's deeply missed. I miss him so much. This was a lot harder without him. But he'll be back next week, and I'll be back, and we'll be bringing you another episode. So have a good week, y'all.